Welcome to the Leading Yourself podcast. This is your host, Carolina de Arriba. I'm an HR professional, health and fitness coach, wife, mom, and above all things, a goal getter. In this podcast, we're going to be digging into all things leadership, professional and career development, habits, and relationships. This is a podcast for those who want to become the best version of themselves. Those who have big dreams and are willing to embrace the journey and put in the work to achieve them. My goal is to share with you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you in your journey. So let's dig in into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading Yourself podcast. Today, I have with me a very special guest. It was one of the highlights on the podcast on 2020 when he was here to talk about his book, Management Mass to Leadership Success. And today, Scott Miller is back to talk about how to take the driver's seat of your career in 2021. Welcome, Scott. How are you? Carolina, I am great. Thank you for the re-invitation. I'm delighted to hear that I earned the right to come back on. So thanks for the platform. Yeah, it was definitely a highlight last year. So I'm really delighted to have you here. You know, 2020 has been really a challenging year for many reasons, but if we talk about career-wise, I think it's been a year of adjusting and a lot of people have put as the number one priority just to get used to the new norm, right? Especially if they have kids. I know you have three at home. I have two of my own at home. And my focus personally, and I know it's been for many people, has been to find the new routines and create new boundaries to be able to just be productive while working at home and managing all the things. But we know that the old times are not coming back. The quote unquote new norm is going to look different than it is today and different than it was before the pandemic. And as we enter into a new year, I think this is a great opportunity to really take the driver's seat of our careers for those who are focused on growing and learning and, and expanding their careers. And I thought of you because I know you're also starting some projects on this area, but my first question to you, Scott, is from your perspective, maybe high level, what are, how can someone switch from where we are today now in 2021 to say if they want to take the driver's seat of their career, where to start and how, how to get that driver's seat? I think your question is probably the question. I like how you ask that around the driver's seat. I think of it similarly, uh, but the term I use, Carolina, is moving from an accidental career to a deliberate career. I think if most people were introspective, they probably would acknowledge that their careers, successful or otherwise, have been quite accidental, serendipitous, right? That perhaps unconsciously, um, without deliberation, we've given up control of our careers to others, to our boss, to our employer, to our leaders. And sometimes that works out well, and sometimes it works out well for them and not for you. So the first bit of advice I would offer people is to be brutally honest with yourself. Has the first part of your career been accidental or deliberate? Meaning, are you intentionally in control of your career? Are you leading what's next for you? Or are you sort of just reacting to 
what you see and what's available or what someone offers you versus are you really deliberately in control and setting your sights methodically on what's next for you? When, where, what? When, where, and what? And so my passion is around teaching some of the concepts that I've adopted in my own career where I, I don't turn over to somebody else who I'm gonna marry, what I'm gonna wear, what I'm gonna eat, where I'm gonna live and make all those decisions. Why would you do that with your career? And I think the big change in the marketplace, Carolina, is that employers, I think have had to become more flexible, more nimble, more agile than even the employers, employees. Because you know, a year ago, some vast percentage of employers wouldn't even think about telecommuting or job sharing or working from home. It was, you know, it was an abomination. Now it's not just the norm, it's the future, right? So I think the good news is people have had to adapt, but so have organizations and so have leadership. So there's going to be a flood, an onslaught of flexibility, new opportunities, coming your way. I think it's going to be a phenomenal 2021 for the vast majority of the workforce. That isn't, isn't to minimize the carnage and the pain and disruption that's happened with a lot of jobs. People are going to have to reinvent themselves. You know, I have a dear friend who has been in the, the restaurant industry her whole life, catering, serving. She's a professional, you know, waitress, if you will. And that, that can pay, you know, a livable wage, you know, if you're good at it, and she is in high-end restaurants. And she hasn't worked in nine months. And I kind of scratch my head and I say, you know, I don't know why, because UPS is hiring, Amazon is hiring, FedEx is hiring. There, there are things you can do in the interim to keep your motivation going, to keep your income going. You're gonna have to pivot. I assure you, if I didn't have a job tomorrow, I go work at Amazon, double shifts. So people may have to recalibrate their expectations, reskill, upskill. But I think the first big idea, and you touched on it, is are you willing, are you courageous enough to move from what might have been an accidental career strategy to a deliberate career strategy? And I'm happy to expand more on that if you'd like. It's a mindset. Yeah, I, I can't agree more because I think even before the pandemic, right, a lot of times um, I work in human resources. So I have the opportunity to talk with many people about their careers and career plans. And a lot of people feel frustrated because they feel they're stuck. And when you start peeling the onion as to why they feel the way they feel, one of the most common themes that I found is that they're just waiting for someone to plan their next step. They're waiting for their manager or their director or their whoever is in the hierarchy above them to make the move for them. And they feel frustrated because they feel that they're not being seen or they're not being heard or they're not being given the opportunities that other people are given. But I think that those that find opportunities are because they're actively seeking those opportunities and working for those opportunities. So I can't agree more with what you just said, Scott. First of all, you did not need me as a guest on this podcast. You are, you are enormously capable of having this conversation on your own, given your own career. 
Uh, but let me add to what you said, because again, I think it's a second well-stated point, is that I think in everyone's career, there comes a time when you should plant and you should harvest. And this is sort of like a, you know, an age-old farming principle, right? I share in some of my own career coaching how it's called the law of the harvest. And if you like take like a potato farmer, for example, a potato farmer will spend two to three years planting and growing potatoes. And on the third or fourth year, they don't plant potatoes. They plant what is often a money losing, but um, nutrient replenishing crop. So they replenish the soil so that next year they can build bigger, better, more expensive, tastier potatoes. And I think a lot of people in their careers could use this metaphor, the law of the harvest. There's a time to harvest and there's a time to plant. And I think, especially in a younger generation, perhaps those, you know, maybe between 20 and 40 or so, where the average age of a career span now is like 18 months, right? They're 36 months. And for me, it's like, you know, six years or so. It's a generational difference. One's not bad, one's not good. They're just very different. And I think some good career advice is to know, should you still be planting metaphorically, right? Raking and mowing and hoeing and fertilizing and watering by learning new skills, by asking for new projects, by raising your profile, by being self-aware on your own um, introspection. Am I doing the job they asked me to do? Because I think people try to harvest too soon. It doesn't mean you have to you know, fall victim to the pay your dues mentality, right? Those days are kind of over also. But there's this self-awareness, this calibration, kind of like a clutch and a gas in a, in a car of knowing when to plant. And metaphorically, literally in your career, that means, you know, are you doing the job you currently have better than anybody expected? Because often your promotion in a company is going to come from your current leader or a leader around them that sees you crushing your current responsibility that sees you demonstrating the proactivity, the desire, the thirst, the curiosity, the hunger to take on more projects. And you know what? 99% of the time, that will pay off. May not pay off at your exact time schedule, but that will pay off. Yeah, you know, that is a great point, Scott. And recently, someone reached out to me asking, how can I find a sponsor? And I know this might not be related with what you just said, but you know, we, in the past, it was very common to talk about mentors, right? And the sponsor is something different. For me, a mentor is someone that guides you, that shares their knowledge and their experience with you and helps you grow in that way. A sponsor is an advocate. And I told this person, I'm like, you know, you already have sponsors. When I look back in my career, I've been very fortunate. I have many sponsors in my career. I've never called them sponsors. I, they never, I never labeled them that way. But I think it all starts with what you say, is you need to be good at what you're doing. And going the extra mile is not enough to just do your job. But how are you going above and beyond and exhibiting skills that are deemed for that next role. I always, in my career, I always acted. I always look to act two steps ahead. I always look at, okay, what is the next step in my career? But I'm always looking at the step after the next step and looking at, okay, 
what are those people doing? For someone to be good at that role, what skills do they have to demonstrate? And that's the things that I'm working on right now, two steps ahead. And when you do that and people around you sees you, and obviously it takes time, right? It's not like you do it once. It has to be consistent over time in every project that you take, every task that you take, people sees you and then they will recognize the potential and whether they want to call themselves sponsors or not, they are the true sponsors. Again, so beautifully said. I think you pick your mentors, your sponsors pick you and your sponsor picks you because they're willing to lend some credibility to you because they see your character, they see your competence, they see your work ethic, and that they choose to sponsor you into you know, a next leadership opportunity. It might be giving you some feedback, it might be giving you some course correction or some guidance on where they think you should deploy your talent. I don't think the strategy either of us are advocating is go out and pick some sponsors. I think they generally come about serendipitously. You earn the right for someone to choose to sponsor you. Now, maybe you could ask someone, that might be, but as you were talking, and I was thinking about the people who were my mentors that I picked, and the people who chose to sponsor me, I didn't choose them. They were people that were above me in the organization, and they watched me carefully. They watched me more than I thought they were watching me. They watched my results. They watched how I showed up at team meetings. They watched presentations, and then over time, probably more deliberately than I realized, they were grooming me. They were thinking about me for a job that wasn't posted yet, that didn't exist yet. They knew that they were gonna go to the London office and they wanted to build a team a year from now. They knew that a product or a merger acquisition was happening you know, a year from now, no one knew. They were thinking about it. I knew nothing about it. But those sponsors came to me, I didn't go to them, but it was my work ethic, my character, my competence, by yearning to do more that paid dividends over time. So well said again. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings me to another topic that I'm curious to, to hear what your perspective is and that is personal brand. Cause I think that that also plays a very important role, right? In the way that people perceive us and the way that that, the impact that that has in them, once again, seeing our potential, seeing our fit for future roles. So maybe can you talk a little bit about the role that a personal brand plays in your career? This is not a new topic, right? This is a topic been around for decades, podcasts, workshops, books written about it, but it's no less relevant today than it was you know, 30 years ago. Everybody's got a brand. I, you know, whether you're in a Mercedes or you're Marriott or you're Spain, right? Everything has a brand. When I think of the country of Spain, something comes to mind. When I think of a Cadillac, something comes to mind. By the way, when I think of people, something comes to mind, right? Taylor Swift, Donald Trump, Andre Agassi, right? I don't know these people personally, but a brand comes to mind. And I don't care if you're Spain or Cadillac or Donald Trump. You, you also have a brand. And I go back to my opening statement, your brand is either deliberate or it's accidental. And this is something that anybody can create and they can change. I don't care if you're 20 or you're 40 or you're 60. I don't care if you were on parole from 
a small crime or you were a felon or whether you had a drug convict or whether you have a divorce, whether you were fired or whether you have an Ivy League degree, right? Anybody can change their brand with enough hard work. And so this is a topic that is part of my Ignite Your Genius career coaching because it's so valuable. I don't think most people know what their brand is. You know, Self-awareness is key to everything we're talking about right now, right? Is this idea, this necessary leadership skill set to know what it's like to work with you, to partner with you, to be in a Zoom call with you, to go to a trade show with you, to be married to you, to live next door to you. And how you become more self-aware is asking other people, what's my brand? I'll be very vulnerable. And I've worked at the Franklin Covey Company for 25 years, global well-known leadership brand, right? From the front line, literally to the C-suite as the chief marketing officer. And my brand, although very deliberate, isn't what I always want it to be. My brand is probably, um, some would call me um, creatively genius. Others would say indefatigable energy. Some would call me ferocious. Um, some would call me petty, jealous, mean, insecure. Some would call me a steamroller. And others would say, if you want your career to blossom, Scott Miller is the best person in the company, right? And so some of those things I love, some of them I hate, they're probably all accurate. But And I haven't intentionally created a brand to be jealous or petty or mean. I haven't intentionally created a brand always to be ferocious or creatively genius. But here's something I learned from a good friend of mine, Seth Godin. You know him, of course, as the, the you know, uh, world-renowned blogger and podcaster and author. Seth, about a decade ago, taught me this concept of being fearless and being reckless and knowing the difference. Being fearless and being reckless. And for me, it just hit me like a ton of bricks because although I wanted my brand to be fearless, I was also behaving reckless. Not reckless like, you know, illegal or immoral, but, you know, I would say what was on my mind. And I thought I was being fearless, but I was really being reckless. Reckless with your emotions, reckless with your self-esteem, reckless with your brand. And I realized, oh my gosh, my brand is reckless. I thought my brand was fearless. And so I don't care if you want your brand to be the person who always is punctual. That's a brand. Your brand might be the person who listens deliberately and speaks carefully. Your brand might be the person who's always dressed impeccably, or you write thank you notes, or you're the best read, or the most traveled, or you're the kindest, or you're the uh, most methodical, or most abundant, right? I mean, even small brands like the person who always admits their mistakes, says they are sorry, and takes responsibility. That's a brand. That does not require an MBA from Princeton, right? That does not require you to have a C title. Your brand can be the person who shows up on time, turns off their phone, opens up their notebook, and takes copious questions, and waits until they're called on to ask a wise question. That is a brand. My brand was 
chief marketing officer, had two phones in my hand, checking the Twitter feeds, the Facebook feeds, the Instagram feeds, checking the competition, walking around the room, talking nonstop. That was my brand. Now, I also had a brand about being, you know, I delivered and I this and that. But I mean, you can control your brand. You have one, whether you know it or not. And the big insight is to ask others, what is my brand? And then decide, what of that do you want to keep? What of that do you want to jettison? And you have complete control over transforming your brand if you care to. By the way, the brand you have and the brand you want to have may not be one that your employer values. So you might need to move to a new organization or to a new leader. But my sense is everybody's got a brand and there's some parts of that brand you might want to change, but you probably don't know what they are until you ask someone genuinely, earnestly, tell me what it's like to work with me. Tell me what my brand is here. You'll learn a lot. It's a long no. answer. I apologize. No, it was great. I And I fully agree. I think that we all have a brand, whether we know it or not, whether we're intentional about building it or not. Everyone perceives us in a certain way and they would describe us in a certain way, right? And I think perception really is what matters. I think you, we, I think everyone generally have the best intentions. I don't think anyone shows up to work with the intention of today I'm going to screw something up. Today I'm not going to be productive or today I'm going to make mistakes. Everyone comes to work with their best intentions, but the way those are perceived by others might be very different than the way we intended them to be. And I think it's always important to always be looking to grow our self-awareness because I think that if you want to grow your career, if you want to, um, however that looks like, right? When I say grow your career, I'm not meaning only a promotion because a lot of times they're used as synonyms. And for me, they're two different things. But if you want to grow your career, if you want to continue to develop, the only way you can do it is by creating self-awareness. Otherwise, you can't change anything. Deliberately or not, you can't change anything unless you know where you are today and then where you want to be in the future, how you want to change. Um, Once again, you don't need me on this podcast because your own <laughs> career journey has been very valuable. I'm sure you coach a lot of people at your day job, right? And how to build their careers. Nicely said. Yeah, mentoring others is one of my passions, Scott. I really, really enjoy it. I, I've been very fortunate in my career to have great mentors. Um, and it's nice to be able to pay it forward now where I am in my career. So it's really, really fulfilling. And, and I, think of, I think of everything you've said, the biggest takeaway that all of your listeners today should um, gravitate towards is this necessary skill set of self-awareness. I think we all think we're self-aware. We're not. We're not even close to it, right? If, if you want to exponentially increase your impact, your influence, your income, your title, your compensation, if you want to take control of your career, to use your phrase, the driver's seat, that requires you to demonstrate a level of humility and vulnerability that is probably uncharacteristic to you, to anyone. You have got to just open the metaphorical kimono, walk into someone and say, I want you to tell me the truth about what it's like to work with me and write it down. Don't dispute it. Don't deny it. Don't deflect it. Don't defend it. 
just write it down and say, oh my gosh, that took courage. Thank you. And then ask, why do you think I do that? Why, why do I act that way? Tell me more about that. Because I guarantee you, if you make it safe for someone to give this feedback for you, you can now transform your brand. Or you can do what most of us do, which is give them lip service, ask them, write it down, and in our mind, or worse, in our words, defend it or deflect it, and then go out doing the same exact things and let it just kind of haunt us in our mind versus say, you know what, that hurts, that's embarrassing, that's mortifying, uh, I'm embarrassed. But that person took enormous courage to share that situation, that scenario, that brand with me, and I have got to take that seriously. I've got to work on that. And for me, that is, the best, that is the best gift that someone can give you, it is, that it honest it feedback. Well said, well said, right. If yeah. someone says to you, oh, you're great. Oh, I love working with you. They're lying to you. They're not giving you a gift. They're giving you a, a, a disservice, right? But you also have to make it safe. You can't just, what you can't do is come up and say, yeah, I asked for feedback. Everyone said I was great. And well, you're an idiot and they're lying to you because they don't, they don't feel comfortable enough with you because your brand is likely that you will bite their head off that you'll blame somebody else for your issue, that you won't just sit quietly, get a bag to throw up in, right? <laughs> and just take it in. Yeah, so, so true. So I mentioned before that career growth, you know, growing your career, developing your career, and a promotion not always are the same thing. And I want to dip a little bit deeper into this because Along the years, I find that a lot of people look at the traditional ladder on an organization and the fact of having to go to a leadership role as the only way to advance their career. And last time you were in the podcast, we were talking about that not everyone is meant to be a leader of people, which I fully agree with you on that statement. But a lot of people, unfortunately, see that as the only way to get the title they want, the pay range they want, to feel fulfilled like they're making progress in their career. If someone is not, let's say, suited for being a leader of people or, or that doesn't energize them, because for me, that is the number one question I think everyone should ask them when drafting a vision for their career is what energizes me? What where do I feel alive? Because that's where I want to grow in, no matter how that path looks like. Otherwise, it's going to be a miserable life, a, a bright career, but maybe a miserable life. So if someone is not suited to be a leader of people, what are the alternatives and how can they work on continue to grow their careers, doing something that energizes them, that they're passionate about? no one formula, right? Because everyone has, some people are generalists, some are specialists, some people's advocation is not their vocation. Some people work because they have to, some work because they're, there's lots of different reasons, right? But here are some commonalities to your question. I love the fact that you call this, you know, kind of your career journey and such. One of the, one of the modules that I teach in my Ignite Your Genius series is this idea of a multi-decade timeline is don't just think about what's next. Like, what does the future look like? To quote Stephen Covey, 
begin with the end in mind, right? If you're 28, where do you want to be when you're 60? And then where should you be when you're 55 and 52 and 47 and 43? And what are the nine or 12 steps, journeys, jobs, titles that are going to take you there? It might be retirement. It might be entrepreneur. It might be that you want to have an income goal, right? But what, what not just, I think, I think to the extent people take control of their careers, they think about what's next and they stop. And they don't think about what's beyond that and beyond that. But when you are in your 30s and you're thinking about your 60s, most people forecast. I like to backcast. And backcast <laughs> requires you to start at the end and then roll it back. What are all the things that I have to do? And to your point, I think it's so important to really think about, you know, your job is your career. Your career is not your life. And it's a delicate balance to be able to, you know, have a fulfilling life with relationships and your passions and joy and a legacy. Some very few fortunate people have that also be their career, right? You know, you hear about actors and other people that say, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. Yeah, you know what? Don't tell me that anymore. That's annoying. <laughs> but it's a complicated formula. I think the first thing to do is to, is to forecast out the future beyond the next job and then back cast in. And then decide what are the roles that are going to have to, am I going to have to land to get there? And they may or may not require people leadership. I think increasingly organizations, I'm seeing this in my industry, organizations are realizing that not everyone should be a leader. Let's not try to turn everybody into a leader of people. And if we want individual producers to thrive, and not fail at people leadership, be humiliated or emasculated. We've got to create a track for individual producers to also have more responsibility, to earn more money, to have more influence as well too. You may have to pick an organization that understands that principle. You may have to leave your current organization and go work for an organization that understands the invaluable role of the individual contributor and that so often, Carolina, to your point, when individual contributors are lured into a promotion, promotion to lead to people, people, everybody, everybody loses. loses. Because the company promotes the wrong person. The person decides they do not want to be a leader of people. And rarely do they then step back into their role because that's humiliating. What do they do? They leave. Because it's the only way to like, you know, save face. Not everybody is lost. So my advice to your listener is you should be brutally clear on do you want to lead people? Not should you need to lead people? Do you want to lead people? If you do not and your organization has no path for you, you're working for the wrong organization. It doesn't mean they're a bad organization. They're just not the right company to leverage your passions, your talents, and your skills to move up. I think it's a conversation to have with yourself. And then be brutally clear, is this the right company for me? Right? Your employer may not be. And that doesn't mean that they're not a great organization. They may not be right for your future. Because what you need to do is they then find themselves being lured into other positions that is not tapping into their natural talent or their passions or their desires. Now they're on an artificial career trajectory. And that will either work out for them but suck their soul 
Or they might find that, you know what? This is something I like better than I thought I did. I'm actually pretty good at it. And my sponsors and mentors are helping me along as well. It can go both ways. Um, it goes back to this level of responsibility. Don't blame your boss. Don't blame your mentor. Don't blame your leader. Don't blame human resources. Don't blame anybody. Take responsibility for yourself. Yeah. You own yeah, your so, career. Yeah, I think sometimes you think you want something or you don't want something and you really don't know until you really experience it. But I think it takes a lot of that responsibility and that vulnerability that you're mentioning, Scott, to realize that, okay, I want to try it. And if, if I like it, I might change my vision of where I want to go. But if it doesn't work to have also the vulnerability to say, this is not for me, and I'm going to go back to where I was doing. Again, I'm thoroughly enjoying your questions and your insights, Carolyn. I mean that. You're extraordinarily seasoned and both well-spoken. If someone wants a promotion or they're thinking about a new job or moving into leadership, the first thing I would do is I would go to someone in that position and sit down and say, can I ask you a favor? I'm just kind of thinking about, would this be something that I'd be right for in the future? Do I have the right temperament, the right competencies? Is this the right move for me? Tell me, what was it like for you when you moved into this role? What was it like? What are the things that you struggled with? What frustrated you? What natural talents did you have that worked out well? What talents did you not have naturally that you had to learn? And was that worth it for you? And kind of really get them to be vulnerable to you. Tell me what worked for you, what didn't work for you. When someone gets promoted and it doesn't work out, what do you see are the commonalities? And then ask them, from what you know about me, I'd love to know, do you think this is something I should, you know, um, invest in? I should consider more. Where do you think I'm aligned? This takes a level of, of trust, courage, vulnerability, transparency. But if you can find someone in the company and go talk to them, ask them the right questions, set the conditions for them to be vulnerable, and also set the conditions where they can say, you know, Scott, I've watched your career. I don't know if this is the right job for you. Let me tell you why. I see you great at this, this, and this. My sense is this isn't your natural strength or talent. Could you learn it? Possibly. But you know, I don't know if it's worth it for you. You know, Carolina, I'll, fit, I'll end with this thought. One of the smartest things I've ever heard in life was told to me by a woman named Judy Henricks. She's one of my speech coaches out of St. Louis. And she said to me, there comes a time in everyone's career where you've given 90% of what you have to give the organization and you've taken from them 90% of what they have to offer you. And the last 10% either way may just not be worth it. And that, and that insight is a sort of pivot point to say, you know what, where are you? Are you at 30%? Are you at 90%? Are you at 140% and it's time to move over or up or out or whatever it is? You can, you can get a better appreciation for, quote, what percent you're at by having some of these conversations to better understand from others who've taken the same journey. Is this right for me? And is this going to require a Herculean level of learning for me around people leadership or whatever it is? And is that really what I want to 
and where I want to and how I want to spend my precious time learning? Only you can answer that question, but you should definitely be asking yourself those questions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's no perfect job and there's no perfect person for a perfect job, right? There's always going to be things in our jobs that we like and there are things that we don't. But what is that balance, right? And what we want that balance to be. And that's what we should strive for. Um, and, and so I can't agree more. So, Scott, before we end the podcast, and I, I can keep asking you a million questions because I'm really enjoying this conversation, but I don't want to close this podcast without talking about your new project, which is very aligned with everything that we've been talking about. Can you share a little bit more about your career coaching? Sure, thank you. Thank you for the, the, the tee up. Um, so I'm doing a variety of things. I'm writing a, a, a series of books. As you know, I've written a book called Management Mess to Leadership Success. Um, a new version of that Mess to Success series is coming out in May called Marketing Mess to brand success, it's on Amazon now. The third book in that series is Job Mess to Career Success. I'm writing nine books in the Mess of Success series. Job Mess to Career Success comes out in January of 2022. Well, as I looked at where I've had success in my life and where I've had messes, I think one of my most successful journeys has been in managing my career, moving from accidental to a deliberate career, literally from the front line to the C-suite. And I am not your natural C-suite personality, right? When you think of the C-suite, I kind of think of button down, very cautious, very, you know, that's not me. You know me well enough to know I'm not the typical candidate that makes it to be an officer in a public company, but I did. So one of the ventures that I've launched is called um, Ignite Your Genius. And your listeners can find me at scottjeffreymiller.com, scottjeffreymiller.com. And I've launched in February... Uh, 14 career modules. They're self-paced video modules where I have curated 11 different topics. One is, you know, identifying your professional values. Most people talk about their personal values, but quite frankly, I think identifying your professional values is so instrumental to taking control of your career. Is, is your professional value maximizing income? Is it working for a brand you're proud of? Is it working for a culture where you feel safe? Is it upper mobility? Is it nimbleness, right? But really knowing what are your professional values. The next is, are you a specialist or are you a generalist? The third module is what we've talked about is, what is your multi-decade career timeline? What is your brand? What is your level of self-awareness? Um, leading up, leading your leader, keeping your ear to the ground, digging your well before you're thirsty, right? All these concepts that I teach in eight to 12 minute videos, and then there is actually a welcome kit and a printed guidebook that allows you to watch the video and then do the exercises in the guidebook. It's insanely inexpensive. I priced it probably a tenth of what I should have because I want it to be ubiquitously available to everyone in their career, including those who might not be employed right now or they were furloughed and they're struggling. So I wanted it to be at a price point where anybody worldwide could benefit you can register now at scottjeffreymiller.com. I have some videos that kind of explain to you what's, what the videos are going to be about. Um, thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. I'm very excited about it. I think that these 14 modules, there's 11 modules, and then there are three bonus modules. 
And the three bonus modules are the five reasons people get hired, the five reasons people get promoted or, in, or get the job, and the five reasons people get fired, hired, fired, and promoted. And uh, I think if someone were to go through all 14 modules, again, they're self-paced, 10 to 15 minutes a piece, this printed or digital workbook, it comes both ways. If someone takes the time to invest in that, they will absolutely, to quote you, take the driver's seat of their career and move from being accidental to deliberate on the rest of their career. Awesome. I was so excited when I saw that. I think that that's really the toolbox that someone needs to really take that driver's seat. So really, really excited. Let me ask you something about this, this the Ignite Your Genius. Who is your target audience? Who should yeah. be thinking about enrolling into, into the program? Yeah. Um, so I don't do individual career coaching, as you know. I, this is, you know, one to many. Um, if someone registers for the, the series, what they also get is access to a once a month live open enrollment webcast with me. They can come on and ask questions about their career as well, too. So and there's 12 of those. You can join every one. You know, um, from being a chief marketing officer for eight years, I know how easy it is to say that this is for everyone, right? You need to have your smallest viable market. But I will tell you, I think that a really broad variety of people can benefit from this career coaching. Whether you are in college, whether you're coming out of high school, whether you're in your first career or second career, whether you're 30, whether you're 50, um, I think anybody that is desiring of taking control of their career, starting it strong, pivoting midpoint, or ending it in a crescendo, you will absolutely benefit from all these modules. Again, I price at a point where anyone can afford them. And the assets and tools that come, I think are valuable no matter where you are in your career. I would probably say it's most beneficial to someone in their 20s and 40s because you probably have another 20 to 40 years on the back end of your career. And there is plenty of time to change that trajectory. But I'll tell you, I'm 52. And if I didn't have the expertise in this area, which I do, I would say I could definitely benefit because I've got, you know, I've got 15 years left in my career, like it or not. I got three boys, you know, there are six, eight and 10. There's no such thing as retirement for me. So I would say um, it's priced at a point where you can't go wrong. And if it doesn't work for you, I would be shocked. But I think what will help, what will be instructive is when someone registers for it, I think they'll find so much value both in the modules and in the worksheets and the monthly um, um, optional call with a group that they'll recommend it to other people and they will become better career coaches for those working for them. So if, you're, if your desire is not to change your own career as a leader, but you wanna be a better career coach to those who are working for you and with you, this would turn you into a better career coach and a better leader as well. I'm sold. And I think everyone listening probably is as well. So what I'm going to do is on the description of today's podcast episode, I will put a link to the website. So if anyone is interested to learn more about Ignite Your Career, then you can go to the link and find out more and enroll. Because I think also you have a promotion going for the first thousand people, right? I that do. Enroll. The first thousand seats are only $79. And once those first thousand, thousand seats are 
um, filled, the price goes to 158, which is still, I think, a extraordinarily great deal. And um, it's about at the trajectory. It's about 10 days left of how. As I hope your podcast airs 10 days from our taping. But um, in mid-January, late to January, we will have filled the thousand seats, and the price will go to 158. It's still, I think, a phenomenal value. But thank you for letting me clarify that. Yeah. No. No. Thank you, and and thank you, Scott, for joining me again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're such an inspiring leader. Um, I'm really grateful to have you here in the podcast for the second time. I know you're really busy, so you making the time to have this discussion, I really, My really honor. appreciate it. My honor. I'll come back anytime you invite me, Carolina. No, thank you very much, Scott. And with that, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you on another episode of the Leading Yourself podcast.